1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about uh, something that was in the headlines and will be soon again. We're going to go behind the headlines and get the truth. We're talking about the tragedy in Sedona and about James Arthur Ray, who is a self-help guru and who is currently charged with three counts of manslaughter. His trial coming up, uh, they, it was supposed to be, actually it was supposed to be about now, but uh, his lawyers managed to get it postponed. Um, he, well I'll let my guest tell you, <laughs> we'll tell you all the details. She has been uh, a follower of James Arthur Ray, and she is now a disenchanted follower, and she is a fortunate follower since she wasn't in the sweat lodge at the time that um, it imploded and killed three people and injured many others. Connie Joy is the author of a new book. It's called Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, I should um, say up front, that I had the honor of being asked to write the foreword of this book, um, which essentially analyzes puts, puts James Arthur Ray on my couch, since I don't think he would be willing to come on, especially not now while he's still uh, being charged with these with manslaughter. Um, but essentially analyzing how his childhood contributed to the man he is today, and um, I do want to say uh, that I. <laughs> that although I wouldn't be surprised if some of James Arthur Ray's um, uh, employees are listening to uh, to check in on what we're talking about, certainly he would prefer that my guest, Connie Joy, uh, and myself, um, not tell you some of the things that we're going to tell you, because Connie, in her book, reveals that the emperor has no clothes. So let's start from the beginning, Connie, with your, how you, you know, what, what was your life like before you came into contact with James? And also, how did you come into contact with him?
3: Well, before I came into contact with James, I've already been working in real estate for several years. We take a lot of seminars and training to improve our skills in that range. But I thought it would be about time to start looking at improving the skills in my own personal life. So at the end of 2006, we saw the documentary movie, The Secret, and right after that, in January of 2007, we attended our first seminar with him.
2: And how did you know about the seminar?
3: Oh, the seminar was actually a learning annex seminar that had been advertised, and I had told several people in my office about the movie, The Secret, and they were the ones who told me that he would be appearing locally. Mm.
2: Okay. And so what was that first seminar like?
3: Well, the first seminar was, had its good points and its, and some negative things, you know, but more like red flags in hindsight. Uh, the good things was that he promoted his events as being a blending of spiritual and scientific principles. That really appealed to me and my husband because we both come from scientific backgrounds.
2: Uh huh. And at the end of that seminar, what did he talk about mostly in that seminar?
3: Well, he he was talking about how he would say that the physicists now are the mystics of our time, that we are getting to a point where science, especially quantum science, is able to uh, prove that the mystics of old were right in a lot of the things that they said. Uh, the thing that caught my attention at the very end, which I thought was kind of amusing, at the time was that he, of course, was into the hard sell almost instantly and cont- continued in the hard sell even at the end saying, well, we've had 20 spots open up at the last minute mm-hmm. for the next seminar and if you can't get into that one, well, then you'll have to, you know, travel across country and have airline fees mm-hmm. and, and hotel room fees. But if you run to the back of the table, we have just 20, p- <laughs> you know, spots open and first come, first serve. And, and I did that because we were going to uh, register for his first event. But when I got back there, I noticed there were a lot more than 20 people, and miraculously, there was a spot for everyone.
2: (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay, so continue. What was the next thing that happened?
3: Well, the next thing we did is we did attend what he calls the Harmonic Wealth Weekend. Um, In that event, uh, and it was an excellent session, and that's something I want to say. The reason why we stayed as long as we did, and other people did too, is in spite of his very annoying hard sell that was going all the time, uh, the material that he had gathered, mostly from other sources, was excellent. And he had an excellent session on goal setting, an excellent session on getting on what your limiting beliefs were. In that particular event, there was a board break where you broke a board with your hand. And on that board, one side was your limiting belief, which the very common limiting belief I learned over time with volunteering and working at these events is that some form of I'm not good enough. That's true for men and women, which surprised me with the men, but that is the truth for both. And on the other side is what you're breaking through, too, that you are good enough, that uh, whatever limiting belief your parents, your teachers, your siblings or your friends put on you is not necessarily true and that you need just to start reviewing it.
2: Yes, um, which you know, which which is I know I know a point that you want to make that um, that although as we go along this journey with you, that you know things uh, went downhill. This is essentially the rise and fall of the James Arthur Ray Empire and and he, him he himself as a man. Um, but I know that you want to bring out the point that that you've started to talk about that there were a lot of things that in fact. Uh, you started seeing, uh, when would you say that you started seeing things changing in your own life? Because I know a lot of people go to seminars and listen to these things and get very motivated, and then um, they go home and they get back into their old patterns. So were you able after the first uh, introductory seminar or after the harmonic wealth, did you start putting some of those things into practice? Actually, we did. And that was uh, one of the
3: positive things about his events. Uh, we came out with a very clear set of goals. It was probably one of the best uh, goal-setting sessions I've ever been in. Uh, it was the first time I ever actually sat down and reviewed some of my belief systems to see which one of them are really true and which were not. Uh, but it was about that time at uh, Harmonic Wealth that, uh, looking back in hindsight, we know that uh, people used to refer to that time as the old James, being the James before he had his appearances on Oprah and Larry King. Um, the older timers would say that he was already starting to get over-obsessed with his ego and with money. But uh, at that point, at the end of the event, you could still approach him. He was still not just approachable, but he was friendly and, and seemed to be interested in what you were doing and how you were doing. Very shortly after that, bodyguards showed up uh, with the sole purpose of keeping people away from him. And over the next couple of years, we just saw him grow more and more distant.
2: So let's talk about that. Um, what well, – well, well, actually, let's not jump ahead too much. After Harmonic Wealth, what was the next thing that you attended? Well, after
3: Harmonic Wealth, the next major event that we attended um, – I'm trying to remember if we did. Yeah, I think we did creating absolute wealth next. And in that one, uh the, the main event you're going to hear people refer to in there is there's what we call the homeless exercise. Um, they're trying apparently to distance themselves from that now. But pretty much when they put you in rags and put you on the street with you know make, makeup dirt on your face and hands and mess up your hair, um, that's pretty much you're homeless uh and we had to do this in downtown san diego and actually the exercise itself i found to be very valuable we had 3 hours um, you couldn't make contact with anybody else from the event so you had to really be on your own and it gave you a chance to just you know be resourceful uh you had no money with you you had no id you had no phone you had no makeup you had nothing um, but you had a couple hours to just look around and just be, and, and if you were hungry, you managed to get yourself food and, and see what it was like. So what I came away from that exercise the first time was with was a very profound sense of uh, gratitude even if i was truly homeless i could be grateful that i was homeless on the streets of san diego and not bangladesh mm. uh there was something to be very very grateful for and then when you got back with your family and friends you you really felt the well i you know really i have nothing to complain about
2: mm-hmm. you know my my
3: life is really good so what so the market's bad so real estate's difficult so people are having trouble we really really have a lot to be grateful for
2: You know, that must have been a very – how did you feel when you first – well, during those three hours, I mean, were you actually – it was very close to where you live. so how did you, do, were you thinking, I hope nobody sees me here, or what, you, what was going through your mind?
3: Well, curiously, some people had a very big problem with that. We found out later, there's several women who locked themselves in the stalls in the ladies' room in one of the upscale stores in the shopping center we were near, and refused to come out for the whole three hours, because they were mortified with how they looked. Um, myself, after I walked around for a little while, I, I, just by habit, I'm always going somewhere and doing something. So having nowhere specific to go or something to do was in itself an experience for mm. me.
2: Uh,
3: but I went and actually sought out some of the real estate offices downtown <laughs> just to see how people would react to me. I, I'm kind of at a point where I, I'm okay with somebody seeing me looking like that. And I was actually hoping I could run into somebody I know just <laughs> to see how long it would take them to figure out it was me. Um, and I stopped at a couple of real estate offices, one on one corner, a very prominent one. Uh, they ignored me, you know, turned their backs to me, wanted me the heck out of their office. And another office I stopped at, a young agent came out, and we had a great conversation, and it took him a while. He eventually figured out who we were, but uh, it, it's still in the interim. He was very polite and kind. And, and another thing I learned from that event, several things. One, I learned a lot of the police were there to be helpful, uh, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, what am I going to get hauled off here? Because I looked absolutely crazy in the clothes I was in. I was wearing, in the middle of uh, late spring, early summer in San Diego, I was wearing a Christmas sweatshirt <laughs> that said Merry Christmas across the top, a big Christmas tree on it with little gold ornaments hanging off, and striped pants. You have to picture this, a 300-pound-plus woman in striped, <laughs> uh, bright-colored leggings pants, and uh, it, I was quite a sight to behold but uh, so I learned that it was surprising in how the police really looked out for you, especially maybe because I was female. That their other homeless looked out for each other, and uh, that that was an enlightenment for me. I did not know that that was the situation going on. The other thing I learned uh, that I took away from that lesson is that it seemed it didn't matter what social, economic class or ethnic group you were from. I saw people with very little who were very friendly, and I saw people mm. with a lot who could be very friendly or very rude to you it, it didn't matter
2: yeah okay and so what was the next uh, what happened ne- now and also were you like okay creating absolute wealth were you, <laughs> were you and your husband creating absolute wealth as you were going through these events well oh, wait a minute uh, i'm sorry i hear the music yeah. we're going to have to we're going to have to come back for that answer my guest today is connie joy she is the author of the new book it just came out, called Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. Uh, she is taking you on a behind-the-headlines, behind-the-scenes look at the rise and fall of the James Arthur Ray empire. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: the experts call toll-free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com
5: are you ready to go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network
6: every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast, all the time. The number one internet talk station where
0: your opinion counts, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Connie Joy. She is uh, the author of the new book, Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. Now, you're probably thinking, huh, so far it doesn't seem so bad. Why is this poor guy being charged with three counts of manslaughter and going to go on trial? And, hey, she learned a lot. But you know you have to look. At, yes, that that's true. As she said, there were some definitely some good things that she did experience and learn. But now pay attention to how, um, first of all, he's getting going towards the point where he changes, and second of all, how all of these uh, seminars were one was leading into the other, to the other, to the other, building up his followers' trust in him. So that we will see with what happened in Sedona, it wasn't that these people were following a cult leader or anything else. These were very carefully planned, um, seductive techniques. One, to get you to pay more money for more uh, seminars. And two, to ultimately, you know, have you essentially think of him as God, who you look up to and who you trust. So go ahead, Connie. Well, exactly
3: what you just said in the Harmonic Wealth Weekend when we broke the board, again... That it's such your entry-level event. It's the first time where you have to look at something and you got to wonder, can I do this? He's telling you you can. Your mind's going, well, maybe. And uh, when you succeed, you just proved him right that you could. And then we move into the middle of uh, 07. We had an event called Practical Mysticism up in Tahoe. And I call that, in my book, the most empowering week of my life, and it, and it was. It was an, an exceptional event. And, again, in that event, we had a couple of things that would definitely push your comfort zone. To me, the biggest one that ever pushed our comfort zone, which was bending rebar with our throats. Uh, I am not going to tell you how we did that because I do not want anybody to attempt yeah. it. Uh, it that you, this is dangerous. Don't. Don't do it on your own. I've coached many. I've done it, and I've coached many people through it. You just don't don't decide to do this. But, again, here's an event where you're looking at a piece of rebar, and he's telling you and showing you how you're going to bend it without touching it with your hands, using a partner, both of you putting on your throats, and you're going to bend this thing. And I have to tell you, everything in my body was screaming, I can't, I can't do that. That's crazy. I can't do that. And he's in my ear The entire time, he was paired up with me, and he is telling me, I can do this. This is energy. It's my limiting belief that I can't do it. I can do it. And when I did it, again, I proved my initial judgment to be wrong and him to be right. Now, that's the middle of that event. Later on in that event, we went to walking fire. Again, you're looking at it, and you're going, well, I know a lot of people have walked fire, but you know, for a few moments there, you're not real excited about this. He's telling you you can do it, you do it, and again now you're developing more and more trust with him because he's telling you you can do things you don't think you can do, and you do them. You prove your your judgment may be not correct, and his is.
2: Yes, and that's the key factor. (laughs) Go ahead.
3: That's the key. So we build from that event... Uh, where we and also, too, on this event, there was a ropes course, a Sierra Ropes course with some very challenging elements in it. That one you had to work as a group to get through. The rebar you had to work as a team, two of you, to get through. Firewalking, it was all about you, and you were on your own as far as going across there. So we go from there to Spiritual Warrior the same year, 07. Uh, it was uh, September in Sedona, Arizona. At uh, that one, that's his pinnacle event, and you're expected to be pushed as hard as possible. This is where I started to really see there were some really good things, positive things that we were working on in our writing and our journaling. At the same time, I saw a couple things that bothered me. One exceptionally bothered me, which was the Sweat Lodge. Um, I wrote afterwards in an email just two days later saying that I rated it a zero out of ten because it was just plain dangerous.
2: Now, this was 2007, two years before the deadly sweat lodge.
3: That's correct. And even though we were there, they were telling us this happens every year and nobody gets hurt. And we know now in hindsight that's not true. In 2005, a man was taken away in an ambulance after the sweat lodge. But at the time, we're getting told that, you know, this is normal and no one's hurt. So we go the entire week with very little sleep, if any. Uh, you, I talk about the fact that you start out the Spiritual Warrior event with the opportunity to buzz your head. Um, some people are going to say, oh, my God, that's terrible. Actually, I will talk in the book about it, that in the end it turned out to be a very empowering thing for me, uh, being with the body issues and image issues that I had with myself and my weight. Uh, but you get, that's just too much to get into now. You'd have to read that in the book. But well, moving let me on,
2: just make... make um... Because that was one of the things that struck me, uh, you know, talking about putting James on the couch. Um, I I'll, I'll talk about that, uh, analyzing him in my foreword. And one of the things that um, I noticed in in reading his his book um, that he he talks about his childhood, and one of the things that he talks about, you know, he, he had a hard childhood and so on, where he felt like an, a nerd. He was the kid with the coke bottle glasses and buck teeth who uh, everybody wanted to kick sand in his face, you know, or or tease him, laugh at him, and so on. And one of the things that they laughed at him about, they were very poor. His father was um, a minister, and uh, so his mother used to buzz cut his hair and his brother's hair, and they would sit on the porch while his mother did this, and other kids or people in the neighborhood used to come around and laugh. Now, when I read that in um I I realized and I knew about of course the uh that he made people going to his well he invited, he encouraged people coming to his spiritual warrior seminar to do that. It is a perfect example of how James uh childhood, really dysfunctional childhood which he has uh, set about trying to overcome through making himself this um wanting to be a billionaire self-help guru um, really he is manifesting he is trying to fix the bad things that happened to him as a kid and one of these things one of the obvious ones uh after knowing about the buzz cuts at the spiritual warrior is when he is able to make other people get buzz cuts and and they feel uncomfortable it makes him feel better about the times as a kid when he got buzz cuts and everybody was laughing at him. It's just such a concrete example um, of something that comes, you know, some some maladaptive uh, adult behavior that comes from his childhood. And I know you said, and I know some other people, too, have said that it was freeing in a way. It gets you to not put so much emphasis on your looks and, and you still see that people like you and all of that. But nonetheless, even though it may have some positive outcomes for some, um, it's still a manif- It's still all about James. It's not really about you. It's all about James.
3: Oh, okay, I, Yeah, yeah I completely <laughs> get that. Uh, in my case, it was a positive experience for me overall because I chose it to be that way, and it, it was for my personality that way. But I could see how it could be very upsetting to someone. So we move from that. Uh, we're still in Sedona. We go off on a vision quest. What I didn't like about that was that they denied us water. And I just have a thing that you just don't keep people from water, especially in a desert and hot, dry environments. And uh, we had uh, about 36 hours approximately that we were out there by ourselves in our circle. And uh, when we came back that morning, you had a chance to eat something very little and try to drink. But at that point, my thirst reflex had been messed up, and I really couldn't get myself to drink much. And they, in the middle of that afternoon, they take you off to the sweat lodge. And to that point, I was actually looking forward to it because I'm someone who's in a sauna or a steam room almost every day, and I set it at the maximum temperature. Example being the sauna I use, I set it at 170 at our club, which is the mm. max, And uh, but I know that 20 minutes is, is all you should ever be in there. I'm out of there before that, and some days maybe it's only five but we head off into the into the sweat lodge, and I'm thinking, yippee, because I've been cold and wet, because uh, we had rain the first day, and everything uh, that we owned got sopped, um, that I thought this was going to be a great experience. Within a few seconds of him starting the lodge in there, I realized that this was going to be nothing of a great experience. It was way too hot. It was uh, way, t- just, we were just packed in there really tight. It was pitch black. That's, again, not the issue. That's not... Unnormal, packed in really tight. That is not normal, um, but the matter, the amount of heat and the amount of water he poured over these glowing hot stones to create a lot of steam was foolish from the start. And I thought, well, okay, he's only going to do like maybe one round of this and then not add any more heat and, and cool it off a little bit in between. But I heard him very quickly that he was calling for for more stones to come in to repeat the next rounds and. Uh, By the time of a week not sleeping, barely eating, coming off the vision quest, not hydrated enough, I was dizzy, I was not feeling well, and I was out of there at round one. Now, most people stayed. So I sat outside for a while and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm getting sick maybe there's something else going on here uh, but within a couple rounds I saw people coming out they were disoriented they were throwing up uh, people had to hold on to them so they didn't like fall off the side of the hill that was there uh, and then it got progressively worse and worse uh, what I was watching happening before me just w- was shocking and they were not concerned they were just saying that oh no this happens every year James is watching and he was he could see where he was sitting he sat right by the door and that's something else that needs clarification when you're right by the door, you get the air when they open the tent up each time in between the rounds to bring in more hot stones. If you're on the far opposite side from that door, you might not get any fresh air, and it's definitely hot over there. I went back in after a few minutes because I was concerned about my husband, I mean a few rounds, because I was concerned about my husband, and at that time I had to sit at the far opposite side from the door and, for a couple rounds, and I tell you what, it was much, much hotter than where James was. So... Uh, I came back out again, went back in again, just to try to keep uh, my husband company because he was going to stick it out. At the end when we came out, there was one woman who had to be carried out because she was so out of it she could not move her arms or her legs. And that was my first spiritual warrior experience. James comes out, hoses off, sits for a minute with a towel around his shoulders and then takes off and leaves everybody there.
2: Yes, because uh, because it wasn't as... as uh Uh, devastating to his body because of where he was sitting and how he had it controlled being so uh, exposed to the air.
7: Absolutely.
2: We do do need to take another break. My guest is Connie Joy, her new book that is a must-read. I mean, it is a fabulous. If you've never even heard of James Arthur Ray, it doesn't matter. Um, Her story is just a must-read, and you won't be able to put it down. We'll be back with her. The name of the book is Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Connie Joy, the author of Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. Um, She's been... (laughs) taking on, us on her journey uh, and highlighting giving us the highlights obviously there's a lot more that's why you need to read her book um, but we will I mean for example there were trips to Egypt and Peru that she went on with him and so on but let's trying to go somewhat chronologically let's talk about uh, James changing and, and uh, you know when he went on Oprah and, and, um, and Larry King okay well he had
3: been on oprah and larry king earlier in that year so it was right after the harmonic wealth weekend in fact he announced it he was very pleased that that he was set up with oprah just a few weeks after um so we left spiritual warrior in sedona and then his next event was quantum leap in las vegas uh at there, what was notable is when he announced the world wealth society for the first time and my husband and i became one of the five founding members of that group when he you know so you know sold it to us, the idea was that this was going to be a philanthropic group, that we were going to be out looking for, you know, uh, conscious kind of projects that we could support that would make a difference in the world, and and that's what we signed up for. What was also happening, though, is that James would become very concerned about his uh, image, and he had a group already going, his inner circle, which was called the MOTL, the Messengers of the Light. Uh, they did a lot of ceremony in robes, and uh, he actually even said to them, you know, what would Oprah think if she saw us in these robes? So he really wanted them to go away. That was not mainstream. He couldn't see that that would uh, work out as being a very economical thing for him, and he, he pretty much distanced himself and told them to disband. After we leave that, we go to Martyr um, Magic in Kona, Hawaii. That was the following year in, in the spring of eight at that one was the first time we really as a group my trust in him had a little crack in it after the sweat lodge. I just didn't understand that experience at all. At Martin Magic the last event and what he does in events is he builds up to the grand finale so to speak at the end of the event. And in this one we came back in and found out we would be breaking concrete slabs with our hands. And these were pretty heavy slabs and as we went through it during that event I managed to get through mine. I was in shock, but I did it again, being, seeing something I didn't think I could do, he told me I could do it, and I did. So again, my trust in him increases, and in his judgment and my, ju- my trust in my judgment is more questioned. Uh, but at that event, we saw many people, between eight and 12 people with broken arms at the end, many more people who had bruised seriously, you know hurt arms, hands, wrists. And, uh, he just didn't say anything about it. He just, uh, kept going on. So, again, we go on with that year. We go to Egypt. And, and at that time, we were all sort of starting to say, you know, surely he got the message. He's pushing people too hard. You know, uh, there's one thing about challenging you to do something that you don't believe you can and then showing that you can do more than you thought. But now the, now there's injuries involved. This is, this is getting more and more serious. So if we move, move through a whole lot of events, there was a lot of things going on. Uh, he was just growing more and more distant. Bodyguards had shown up. Uh, their job was to keep everybody away. Even people who were volunteering at the events were very much kept at a distance from him. And it was about this time I noticed his own employees were scared to approach him. Um, and I found out later they were not allowed to approach him. So that's kind of the progression which gets us up. There was another spiritual warrior in 2009. Uh, excuse me, 08, and in that one we had several friends there. One of our very close dear friends stopped breathing twice a- after it, and another woman was non-responsive for several hours, and another friend of ours was calling for James at the end because she thought she was going to die, and they told her he had already left. So these people are laying on the ground in this state, and he just gets in his golf cart and takes off. hmm And also, shockingly, this this completely blew me away, he was upset after the 2007 one we attended because he didn't think he got the lodge hot enough.
7: Hmm.
3: So that year, to make it hotter, he dropped the ceiling height down considerably to condense the heat. Hmm. Inexplicable.
2: (laughs) God. Okay, as long as he was all right, right? Okay, so yes, go ahead. Yeah, he's
3: hanging out the door. And also, too, by the way, during these events, in 07, I saw him take a you know wet wet towel and wipe himself down. So I was leaning outside. They were splashing him with water. Um, he, I heard into the 09 one from friends that he actually splashed his, his own team with cold water, but they didn't share any of that with the rest of the group.
2: Hmm. Okay, so go ahead.
3: Well, the next uh at that point we 're starting to get more vocal you 're not supposed to talk about what happens at the events uh, so that people get to have quote their own experience. Uh, James once said, "Well, this would not look good in a in a flyer, so we just don 't talk about it ahead um, but you know after the, what happened in two thousand and eight and how bad it got we I became very vocal, and anybody asked me about the events, I would steer them to anything but spiritual warrior, and I would start telling people, you don't stay in there. Uh, go leave if you have to, you know, you can always go back in. They don't tell you that in the beginning that you can just go back in. Um, what it kind of got itself to a head in Peru, we were in Peru in 8 of oh nine. That's just two months before uh, what happened in, you know, Sedona. And at that event, we had at the end uh, a climb up a mountain called Juana Pinchu, which is above Manchu Picchu. It's a very serious climb. People die on that hill every year. That's why you have to sign in. They have to space you. There's only so many people allowed to go up at a time. We suddenly find out the night before that uh, we were going to have a very limited amount of time to do it, and his attitude was, well, maybe not everybody was intended to make the climb anyway. So essentially if you don't hurry and you're not up there in time too bad.
2: I mean obviously taking risks right and left and if if anything happens to anybody he blames it on your having a limiting belief. <laughs> That's
3: right or your own physical uh, limitations you didn't be- you didn't believe hard enough that you could do it. Right. So yeah, there there at that point we took exception and we made a plan up with the tour organizers so that if anybody was was late uh, that there would be a guide that would stay behind and would take them later that day back to the main town of Cusco to catch up with the group. Not a big deal. I mean, people came to us to ask us to put something together because we kind of were the ones that, that the go-to person there, that they would ask for help. And when we, when James found out about it, he went ballistic, you know, that we were undermining him and, and coddling the people, and we had a big public fight in the lobby of the Peruvian Hotel there. And... Uh, it, it really was the end. That was, that was capsulating the end for us. We just couldn't, couldn't excuse any more his overly aggressive behavior. Uh, two weeks after we got back, to, oh, about two weeks, I'm sorry, before Spiritual Warrior 09, where the people died, we had a private phone call with him because we told him we were not okay with what happened in Peru. We needed to talk about it. And uh, in that phone call, we were hoping to resolve our concerns with him to let him know that you know you, you're going too hard here. You need to pull up. Uh, it, we never got the chance to get to that. Uh, our concerns were not resolved. And in that phone call, I told him that we would no longer volunteer for his events, and that we were supposed to be at Spirit. Excuse me, at Sedona with him right before Spiritual Warrior for uh, a private hike and. Earlier that year we were actually signed up to be a, a dream team, a volunteer member there. Uh, we pretty much told, you know, backed out of that earlier because we were just concerned about the sweat lodge and at that phone call we backed out completely of even meeting him at all. So we told him one, we weren't volunteering anymore and two, we weren't going to meet him in Sedona.
2: Hmm.
3: And as you know, what happened?
2: looking back, so go ahead.
3: Well, and as you know, Um, what happened, we still had friends there, we 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 did warn them, but again, too, you know, the entire time they're in there, they're being told by him that you can do this, and before the event starts, he tells you, he'll keep referring to this disclaimer or or waivers that you sign, telling you that was dangerous, but before the people went in there, he tells them that, you know, you you think you're going to die, but you're not, you you know, this is mind over your body, Uh, that even if you pass out inside, we'll take care of you, you'll be okay, So he gives them all these assurances that they'll be okay and that they can do this. Uh, And and while you're in there, and if you're trying to leave or if you're having problems, he's he's pretty much talking you down that, you know, you can do this. You're more than that. They constantly heard that. You're more than that. You may think you're going to die, but you're not. So after all these years, three years' worth of, you know, trust or however many some of these people had of seminars with him before, being thinking that they couldn't do something and then finding out that they could – here he is again telling them that even though the minds are going, A hey, you know, I can't do this, he's saying, yes, you can, and they trust him. Yes. And by the time they figured out that they were in such bad shape that they they couldn't get out. I mean, you you know that. If you sit up from something and all of a sudden you're dizzy, what can you do? You, you can't get out anymore. So you're relying on his word that he would get you out, and he didn't.
2: Yes, he really didn't do anything. Um well, tell us about you, the '09. What you know, you you were starting to say you had friends who went to it, and and what what have you heard from from these people on the inside and and uh, the people who died? Well, I mean, not that you heard anything from the people who <laughs> really died. No. I
3: mean... Chandler, I'm not. <laughs> um, but uh, what did we hear? It was the same similar thing that happened at the previous years again. Uh, way too much. Uh, Just to give the the people who are listening just a very high overview of it, a usual traditional sweat lodge is maybe, and this is just an average, it's usually about four heated stones are brought in for about four rounds. James started out with 12 stones, and he went for more than two hours. Discussion is it was about two and a half hours. I understand in hours, we were somewhere between two and a half and three hours in 07 when I did it. Hmm. Now, nobody... No responsible person is going to tell you that you should stay in any sauna or sweat lodge for two and a half hours.
2: Yes, and the Native Americans whose ceremony this is uh, are very angry at him. Um, you know, for sort of bastardizing, misusing this sacred ceremony in a way that, uh, first of all, that was way beyond what they ever do. You know, that's what's what you're supposed to do. And um, who actually, now, with the publicity of of the people having died, you know, really just changed the whole way that people think about or should think about sweat lodges. So um, because, yes, it is a very, it can be or it should be, a very sacred experience and and uh, not something used to bolster his own ego. Absolutely. Well, I, I hear the music. We do need to take another break. My guest is Connie Joy. Her book is Tragedy in Sedona my life in james arthur ray's inner circle and in case it wasn't clear she was part of what's called his dream team uh... the volunteers who help other people at, at events at seminars and um, after participating in them herself she then became part of she and her husband became part of the dream team so they were really you know they were really into this until they started seeing how james had changed once he started believing his own pr and feeling that uh, now that he was on Oprah and Larry King, he was invincible. We do need to take a break. We'll be back soon. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
5: Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the wow zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carroll's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carroll, dial toll-free at one 472 472 Fifty seven eighty eight. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Connie Joy. Her book is called Tragedy in Sedona, My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. And um I wanted to just uh, mention, you know, this the secret. I'm sure a lot of you have watched or read the secret, and of course the big part of that, the main story is uh, the law of attraction—that um, you know how, what you um, think, believe, receive. Um, wait, did I say that right? Ask, believe, receive, um, and how what you what you think you manifest. And so, when you think about what happened to James Arthur Ray with this tragedy in Sedona, manifesting now being charged with manslaughter. Um, he obviously was thinking and then manifesting some self-sabotaging thoughts because he's facing years and years of jail. And, of course, his empire has gone down the tubes. So um, because he started leaving the spiritual path himself and getting caught up in buying mansions in Beverly Hills, Porsches, and everything else, uh, manifestations (laughs) of uh, status symbols uh, instead instead of spiritual beliefs, Again, going back to his childhood, because of of trying to because he at at bottom he really still felt like this little he had this inner nerd that he had to keep quieting by trying to prove to the world that he was this cool stud, um, a billionaire, self help guru, and um, spiritual guru, and um, who's on Oprah and Larry King, and so obviously he started going down the wrong spiritual path. And uh, which culminated in this tragedy in Sedona, the Sedona Sweat Lodge. So, Connie, tell us about how, what kinds of um, techniques? I mean, you alluded to it before—his sales pitches and so on—that sold people into buying more seminars, buying his books and his tapes, and buying going into the World Wealth Society that you joined and so on. What were the things that he did that um, that got people to buy? <laughs> To buy well, him, to believe, in, and, and and walk them into the sweat lodge. Well,
3: what uh, James was exceptionally good at was neuro-linguistic programming. And for people who don't know what that is, that is how you use words to motivate people to essentially buy stuff. It's to motivate them to do anything, but you can... Twist words or use them in a very specific way that goes back to punching things that we were, we learned or how we were treated when we were little to get us to respond to do something a lot more, with a lot less thought than probably should be there. An example was, um, where he really crossed the line. He'd always used it a lot, but there's also stage hypnosis. And what he did in one thing, one, in earlier that year is that at the end of a meditation, uh, this was with the music playing, the background lights low, and his voice on a CD. He took over from the CD, and he's starting to talk. The music is still playing, the lights are still low, and he goes into the we call it the "You're more, you are more than that" speech. You are more than your financial limitations. So if you think you can't go on and and do more and learn more because you, you can't afford it, that is your your misguided belief. You're more than your your checkbook balance. Um, and then he went on to do a sales pitch. For some of his events, and for people to sign up for the World Wealth Society, and to, for people who don't aren't aware of this, the World Wealth Society could cost you anywhere from sixty thousand to seventy-five thousand dollars a year. So this was not, geez, you know, sign up for a couple hundred-dollar program in the back. Don't worry about it; you'll be fine. This was was way over the top. Um, I was mortified when I saw this. There was nothing okay. there was nothing okay with that sales approach. He misused the hypnosis completely
2: and and we should also point out the spiritual warrior event i mean the other all the seminars were thousands of dollars, except for the beginning ones where he sucked you in um, but but the sedona sweat Lodge uh, spiritual warrior seminar was ten thousand dollars that's correct. These were
3: not trivial purchases, and so he, uh, he you know and he had a no refund policy. So, you know, you signed up for them unless you got back to them in the three days that the state of California leaves you to, to back out of something you were stuck. And what we saw happening, so he, one, he's using the neuro-linguistic programming on people to get them to sign up for more events. He's using stage hypnosis. Uh, he, another example of how he used words or could try or attempted to use words to cover things up, we didn't mention, but back in, uh, uh creating absolute wealth, again, during a homeless exercise, that same year, that summer, right before the uh, the sweat lodge in 2009, my daughter was at that event, and we joined them at the end at the black-tie dinner party. Uh, while they were out during the homeless exercise, a woman committed suicide. They did not tell anyone, for either the volunteers, the Dream Teamers, or the participants that one of their participants had just committed suicide. What they told the volunteers the next day, And we know from from hearing from some of the other employees, from Melinda, uh, she was told directly from James that if asked, they were to say that they found her, that she is fine, and she decided not to return to the event.
2: Yes, he was just creating his own reality to keep his own image the way he wanted it to be. Let's um, go to the sweat lodge, the 2009 sweat lodge. And I just want you to talk about, I know that you... Um, one of the three people who tragically died, you were friendly with, Liz Newman. Yes.
3: Liz had been studying with him for over seven years. She had volunteered. She actually was a volunteer at the sweat lodge I was at. She was the one outside helping me. Uh, this was a true angel, uh, you know, a shoulder to cry on, a person who was just there because she wanted to help, big heart, um, just, a, just the most wonderful person you can imagine, and it's still I'm bringing it's bringing tears to my eyes again now to think that, you know, she, you know she died in that sweat well she didn't die there she was alive she was the second one airlifted out a very close friend of ours was the first person airlifted out and he was on a ventilator and not expected to survive the night she was the second one airlifted out out of four people that were flown out that night uh, the two that were dead uh, James. Uh, and Kirby were taken by ambulance to a hospital because they again they if they thought that they could save them, they would have taken them in a helicopter to one of the trauma units mm. but it was just it 's just a heartbreak to to know that this happened to these people and in the case of our friend who uh suffered all these health issues, he still has not received any compensation from for his medical bills from either James or from his company, and he still has serious health issues
2: yes, and uh just I, we're running out of time so just tell us quickly about what James has done since this uh, tragedy and be- well before he was arrested and then after and now that he's out on bail what is he still doing well he's still
3: trying to sell his stuff um I say in my book, you know, there's a word called ineffable, which means indescribable beauty. I don't know what words you'd come up for, indescribable audacity, but he owes us $56,250, which was our membership fees for the World Wealth Society last year, but at the same time, no mention of that, but he's still sending me emails three at a time, hmm. uh, wanting me to buy uh, an <laughs> old product that he has that's been around forever that we already even have, or, or buy time listening to him on his radio talk show, which just boggles the mind.
2: Yes, and I, I think that that's, that comes to sort of our last minute here, um, why you wrote the book. Well,
3: the main reason I wrote the book was, one, I, people needed to understand those were not cult followers in that room. The Cult involves a religious uh, worship. There was no religious worship in here. People were just trying to improve their lives, be better parents, being better spouses, uh, being better coworkers. You would have counted yourself lucky to have any of those people in your lives. And so I wanted that. The other part I wanted was not to cast this version on the entire spiritual movement. There are a lot of great teachers out there. And uh, and if all else fails, you need to be your own guru, and that is to read and study on your own. And when somebody tries to sell you something, even if they call themselves spiritual or religious, you need to be a conscious consumer.
2: Yes. And I would suggest that you consciously consume Connie's book. Again, Connie Joy, thank you very much for being on the show. Her book is called My Life in James Arthur Ray's Inner Circle. You can get it on Amazon, and uh, and I suggest that you do because this is just an amazing story. There is so much more than we <laughs> could even highlight or touch on, uh, and call him a having a messiah complex and an imposter syndrome, wounded narcissism, sociopathy, too many experimental drugs, sadism, or a death wish for himself. This man, because of his uh, his need to um, escape his his traumatic childhood, you know his. Uh, childhood where he felt like a nerd um, he is putting everyone's life in the balance and he has already killed three people and damaged many other lives it's not just the people who died or even the people who were injured of course those were hurt the worst but it's also the people who believed in him and whose trust was betrayed so Connie thank you again for being on the show and thank you all for listening you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman